take your Bibles, if you would, I want you to turn to two books of the Bible this morning. Uh, I think you can do that. Don't stand just yet, but uh, find these two books of the Bible, all right? We're going to turn to Acts chapter 18, and we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Acts 18, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to be reading from both of those texts in just a moment. And uh, I, I don't know about you, I'm glad to feel the weather cooling off a little bit, and uh, that's been a blessing. I'm excited about the volleyball tournament, excited about soul winning this Saturday, and uh, glad to be home. We took a group from our church and a few other churches on a, what we call the Journeys of Paul Bible Study Tour. And uh, I'm going to show you a few pictures in the message this morning, and then again Sunday night uh, when Mrs. And Cha- Mrs. Chaplin and I have the uh, question and answer time. And uh, I remember when I was in the third grade, I had a teacher named Mrs. Seresig, and um, she uh, had been on a trip to the Holy Land, and uh, she bored us with Holy Land pictures just about every single day in school. And I swore I'd never become an old person that made everybody watch Holy Land pictures all the time. But here I am. I'm going to do it to you today. How's that sound? All right. So, uh, and uh, maybe you'll have a better attention span than I did as a third grader. I don't know. But uh, when you learn some things, you want to share it with others. And so over the next few days, we'll share some of those things with you. And I hope you'll enjoy them. Uh, and uh, I certainly am thankful for the good reports I've had of what God's doing in our college while I've been away. Let me just teach you a couple of things before we get into the message. Uh, One of the things that you're going to have to learn about serving God is that you'll never have a perfect environment for it. This is a fallen world. Uh, There's going to be people in every church and in every school uh, that bug you. (laughs) There's going to be, there's going to be uh, difficulty. There's going to be uh, sometimes people that are nice to you, sometimes people that aren't nice to you. There's going to be sometimes things that make sense to you and things that don't make sense to you. Uh, and if you are the type of person that requires everything to fit you perfectly, you'll never be happy in this world because uh, this world is not meant to be our permanent abiding place. It's full of stress and sin and difficulty. I'm not trying to be negative when I say that. I just want you to know uh, that uh, Jesus himself said, in the world you shall have what? Tribulation. Tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And so I want to encourage you uh, to keep your eyes on the Lord. And there is something I want you to jot down, just a little note in your note taker's journal today that has helped me over the years, and I hope it will help you. And it's just this little statement. A carnal Christian, a carnal Christian, we're going to be in Second Corinthians this morning, they were carnal. So a carnal Christian, or you could sometimes say a weak Christian, but a carnal Christian will take a little thing and make it bigger every time. Carnal Christians just have, you'll you'll see them in the ministry. I've been a pastor. I've been preaching for 40 years. Uh, You'll see people that the slightest thing, uh, somebody passed out the wrong cookie in the nursery, and you would think that a murder was, was attempted, you know. And, and, and boy, they, they'll, I've had letters about this type of thing. And just, but, but a weaker Christian, instead of just very lovingly dealing with it or, or just giving it to the Lord, will take those little things. Now, I've dealt with pastors and college students. Some of you are going through that perhaps now. Well, why do we have to wear this? Why can't we wear this? And really, what you need to do is not so much worry about 
some dress code or some rule and just say, you know what, I'm just going to grow through this and I'm going to give it to the Lord. Uh, but a carnal Christian will take a little thing and make it so much bigger, okay? By the way, the word carnal uh, speaks of being of the flesh, right? Okay, secondly though, here's the second line, a spiritual Christian, and this is what we're trying to raise here, a spiritual Christian can take a big issue and by the grace of God make it smaller, okay? A spiritual Christian can take a big issue and by the grace of God make it smaller. Now, if you watch the media, we live in a world that takes little things and just makes them huge and tries to make everything a racism and everything a hatred and everything a you know, World War III. It's just they take all these things and try to just get everybody against everybody. And as a spiritual leader, what you are challenged to do, what I'm challenged to do, uh, and I'm going to talk to uh, some folks about this later today, is to take something that could be a big issue and just bring it down, okay? So, illustration, somebody might come up and say, you know, so-and-so said such-and-such about you. Okay, well, uh, what you could say in that environment would be, you know, I'm sure they didn't mean it that way. I'm sure that's not how they meant it. You could give them benefit of the doubt. Uh, or you could say to the person, hey, thanks, thanks for telling me that. Don't worry about it. I'm, I'm going to give it to the Lord. You give it to the Lord, too. Now, you could form a club, and you could, you know, get on the internet and Facebook and write mommy. That's what people do, right? And, you know, start talking all about it. Uh, or some, sometimes you could take something like that and just go to the person and say, I heard just through the grapevine something bothers you a little bit. Are we okay? Is everything okay? What are you doing there? You're taking something that could have been big and just making it small. And I want to encourage you, some of you girls in the dorm, uh, it, it, you've been in, we've been in college long enough now, and they'll say, well, you can wear this to practice, but not around the school or whatever, okay? And, and maybe it's something you need to ask Dr. Getch about, but what you don't need to do is get an attitude. We, we don't need to have people in ministry just with haughty attitudes. Um, some of you guys, same thing. You've been in the dorms long enough, or you know, you've got a demerit for something. Look it. Uh, the longer that I live in the ministry, and you're going to see this in the message I preached this morning, I don't have time to spend my days with little trivial things. I'd rather just give those to the Lord because there's bigger fish to fry. There's big things that need to be taken care of. So a carnal Christian will take a little thing, I mean, maybe a little rule or maybe a little look, somebody didn't look at you right, or, or maybe, uh, you know, just some little problem, and they'll take that little issue, right, and just, just a little, maybe even something that's, that's not even a major doctrine, something that, that there's room for a couple looks at it, and they'll take that thing, and they want to build a whole denomination on it, right? They take a little thing, and they make it so big. That's what a weak Christian does. But a strong Christian can, can see a big potential problem, and by grace, he can make it smaller. And that's what we want to be. And I, I want to challenge you in the dorms. You have a girl that says, well, I just think if I went to have it your way you, that I could do this and dress how I want and have it your way you. Well, if that's the attitude you want to have and if you want to take a little something, maybe Mrs. Blim said, and just blow it up, I got to tell you something. At have it your way you, they're going to have one thing that's not your way. And then you'll, have, you'll blow that up. 
it's really not about where you live or even where you go to college. It's about what's going on inside your heart. Can I get an amen to that? So I want you to grow in these areas to say, did Dr. Getch tell you to say this? I have had one 15 seconds with Dr. Getch. So Dr. Getch hasn't said anything. In fact, you're the first real live people I've spoken to since flying in from, uh, from Greece just a, just a few hours ago. So if I speak in tongues this morning, it's because I'm on jet lag and uh, just a little bit tired. Uh, but I just thought I'd share that with you really because it's October and uh, you, you, you came to college, you're excited, and there's still a great spirit in school and so forth. But once you're around some people for four to six weeks, you realize not everything's perfect. So you're either going to deal with it in the spiritual way or the carnal way. And I hope you'll be spiritual Christians in this year. And I believe you will. Well, let's stand together now. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you to read with me from Acts chapter 18. Um, and we're going to read about Paul's missionary uh, journey to Corinth. And then we're going to read Paul's letter to the Corinthians uh, this morning. And I'm, I'm going to speak to you about something. Now, I just spoke to you. How many of you, how many of you, uh, when I was just talking about how people can take little things and make them bigger, now, now help me out here, how many of you, something came to your mind, maybe in the dorm or in school, or you've at least seen that happen uh, in, in the last couple months? So, so how many of you kind of knew what I was talking about? Raise your hands, all right? All right, so we all live in that world where we have these little things. We can either deal with it or not. So you knew what I was talking about, okay? Now, this morning, I'm going to speak to you about the Bema Seat judgment, the judgment seat of Christ. Now, how many of you in the last 24 hours have been thinking about that. How many of you would say, that's, that's on my mind a lot too, the judgment seat of Christ? Raise your hand. Okay, 10. I want to propose to you that if you would think more about the day you stand before Jesus, that a lot of the little things that people argue about wouldn't matter as much. And I want to propose to you that if you're a Christian who believes in eternal life, and you believe that you're going to see Jesus someday, then you need to listen to this message because only 10 of you have even thought about it in the last 24 hours. And I want to propose to you that this is something that we should all think about every single day. So let's get a little bit of the background. Acts chapter 18, verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born of Pontius, uh, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came to them. And this past week, we've been in Italy, we've been in uh, Greece, uh, we were at Corinth, as you'll see in a moment, and a wonderful opportunity to walk in the steps of Paul. Verse 3, and because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. You know, it's a wonderful thing when the Holy Spirit can press on you to speak to someone about Jesus Christ. And and that's what happened at Corinth. Paul began to preach Christ. And then verse six, and when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said to them, your blood be upon your heads. I am clean. From henceforth, I will go into the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshiped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians hearing 
believed and were baptized. Now think of this. They believed and were baptized. You know what's happening? A church is being formed because of the faithful preaching of the apostle Paul. Now, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read that in just a moment and be seated. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And in a moment, we'll read in verse number 9. While we're doing that, I want to show you a couple of these pictures I think we might have up here. And uh, not a lot, just four or five in Chapel Fellows. Do you have those for us here? If you do, uh, is there anybody back? There we go. All right, this is Corinth. Now, I don't know what order these are in. This is the Temple of Apollo. In the Greek world, uh, there were many gods uh, that were worshipped, such as uh, Athena, such as Zeus. Uh, and uh, here was the temple to Apollo. Behind me was a structure that we were told uh, was inhabited by first century Christians uh, that uh, may have been used for the worship of early Christians. This uh, place where we're standing was the athletic area of the uh, uh, city of Corinth, right near the Bema seat. Uh, on the next slide uh, is a closer shot of the uh, Temple of Apollo, and over to the left, you can kind of see in the left corner, the Ionian Sea, which is between Greece and Italy. And so, a beautiful location, a beautiful uh, city. Uh, then, on the next slide, we have uh, a little bit of what they call the agora, which is the word for the marketplace uh, in the ancient cities. And uh, Corinth had uh, an extensive agora. And up in the back, you have the uh, Acro Acropolis, which is where uh, the temple, uh, the, the, the pagan temples uh, were held. And uh, there was false worship that took place there, very wicked, wicked worship that took place there above the city of Corinth as well in the temple there. And then on the next slide, uh, you have, uh, this is the group that we took, not all of them, but the better portion of them. And behind us is what I'm going to preach about today. This is called the Bema Seat. Uh, this is where Paul would have preached from when he was at Corinth. This is where the leaders of the city would sit when the races were run, and uh, the uh, winners of the races would come up to this place, and they would receive a crown or a wreath, probably olive trees, something like that, an olive wreath. Uh, it would be presented to them. And so it was a very common thing in Corinth uh, to know about uh, the Bema Seat, to see the Bema Seat, to know about the fastest runners uh, and who the recipients of the rewards were. And this, this was the judgment seat, not only athletically, it was a judgment seat for judicial matters in the city. Uh, we might say the city fathers made judgments from this place. So Paul, as he writes to the church at Corinth, has since, of course, left them. He's writing them now from Ephesus, where he spent a few years uh, in the school of Tyrannius and in other places teaching and preaching in the synagogue and helping to raise up a mighty church in Ephesus. But one thing you'll learn about being in the ministry is that no matter where you are in the world, if you are called, you will always have on your heart the people to whom you have ministered. Uh, if you're a pastor like I am, you can be on the other side of the world like I have been but your burden for Brother Michael and your burden for the Johnson family, as you heard that Brother J.J. Johnson went home to be with the Lord, or your burden for the Kid City Project, or you're praying for the faculty or students that have needs. 
It doesn't matter where you are. If you're called, it's always right here. So Paul was at Ephesus, but he had Corinth on his heart. He was burdened for them. And so he writes to them. He wants to help them to stay true. And I want to help you to stay true. And one of the greatest motivators in life for staying true to God is this very important principle that one day you and I will stand before Jesus Christ and we will give an account. How many of you would agree with me? That's a sobering thought. It's a profound, it's a true thought. And so we're going to read here two verses and then we'll jump into this study on the beam of seat. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9, wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, we're going to define some of these words in just a moment, but before I pray, let's all read this verse together, all right? This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Corinth, and he says here in verse 10, ready to begin, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for the honesty of our student body this morning that over the last several days they have heard about little things. Maybe a few here have even complained about a few little things, and their minds have been in tune to little things. But when I ask them about the biggest appointment that they'll ever have, bigger than a doctor's appointment, uh, bigger than uh, some appointment with their pastor, when I ask them about that day when they'll stand before you, just a very few had ever even thought of that recently. So Lord, would you rearrange our thinking today and make it to be in light of eternity? And I pray and ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Corinth is located about 40 miles from Athens. The Apostle Paul had come there after seeing the amazing idolatry at the Parthenon and other places in Athens. Uh, Corinth was a city that existed from about 600 BC. It had much in the way of traditional paganism. It was a commercial center. Uh, it was near uh, active navy yards, and many would pass through this area doing business. Paul often went to commercial centers and planting churches so that from there the gospel would go out around the world. There was an isthmus. Uh, the word isthmus uh, we might today in the English language describe as the neck. It was a small portion of wetlands that connected the Aegean Sea and the Ionian Sea. And, and uh, now, in recent days, uh, about a, a couple hundred years ago, there was a, an actual a waterway constructed there that ships pass through today. But even in Bible times, it was popularly visited by business people and sailors, and uh, they would come into this area to do business. The Agora, the shopping center, was uh, full and bustling in the first century. Uh, the Acro Corinth, uh, the mountain above the city of Corinth, was, as I said a moment ago, the, the lodging place of the temple to the goddess Aphrodite, and they were not celebrating true love. It was a very sensual and sexual place. It was a very wicked place to which Paul went. And as I said, many ungodly sailors would go there, and many business people traveling through uh, into this area. 
They had, as we mentioned, a running track, a small Olympic stadium, if you will. But they had something that is of great importance to those of us who know Christ as Savior, and that is the Bema seat. It is the judgment seat. The judgment seat is a place uh, at Corinth that was used for secular judgments, athletic judgments, and on occasion, even the preaching of the gospel by the Apostle Paul. But as Paul the Apostle is away from the Christians at Corinth, his heart was still thinking about, no doubt, those that were saved and maybe remembering when Aquila and Priscilla would help him make tents at night and then preach in the afternoon and maybe remembering those that were saved uh, who were a part of the synagogue and, and some of the Greeks that were saved. And, and so he writes to them. And no doubt as a leader, a spiritual leader, he's trying to help them to be faithful. He doesn't want to see them slip back into the ways of the world. And we know the Corinthian church had a problem with carnality. We know that they struggled with uh, taking little things and making them bigger and making messes out of things, whether legally or whether immorality. We know that this church needed to be reminded uh, of what was coming someday. And so Paul says to them, no doubt with this Bema seat in his mind, no doubt realizing that they were a people who understand about running and athletics and they understand about the power of the judge and the giving of the prize, he uses for them a familiar analogy. And the analogy is the Bema seat. And he says to them, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. And the same word is used here, the Bema seat. He says, all of us are running a race. All of us uh, are going to stand before the judge, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as he writes from Ephesus, he reminds them of that appointment. And this morning, I felt led to remind you of that appointment. And I, I have personally been reminding myself and standing at the Bema seat just was sobering for me. And my wife and I prayed there that we would uh, stand before the Lord in a time that would be pleasing to the Lord. Uh, contrary to those who misinterpret the doctrines of grace, you can please and you can displease the Lord. Grace is not our excuse to live how we want. Uh, it is not ours to say, well, I'm sanctified in Christ, so it doesn't matter how I live. The Scriptures teach so the opposite of that. In the Scriptures, in specific terms, Paul said to Timothy that he should live so as to please the one who has chosen him to be a good soldier, 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I believe all of us should want to live our lives in such a way that when we stand before the Bema seat, that we will have pleased the Lord Jesus Christ with the way that we live. Now, I want to share four truths with you this morning about this day that you're going to have. If I were to help you, for example, with going to visit a doctor, I might say to you, if I knew the doctor, you ought to be there a little bit early. You ought to have your records ready, have your questions written down. I might say to you, this doctor talks fast, so uh, this doctor's going to go fast with what he says. I might help you prepare for that appointment. If I was to perhaps speak to you about uh, how to go and visit the White House and a place where I've been a few times, I might tell you which gate to go through. I might tell you how to dress. I might tell you the protocol and perhaps eating a meal or whatever the case might be. And, and certainly for important appointments, we try to get ready. We try to be prepared. But I believe there's no greater appointment that you'll ever experience than when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to share with you four things about 
getting ready for this appointment. Number one, I want you to jot down this truth. The judge at the Bema seat is Jesus Christ. The one that you are going to stand before is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Revelation 22 says, Behold, I come quickly. My reward is with me to give to every man according as his work shall be. Jesus Christ is the Lord of the church. Jesus Christ is omnipresent. Jesus Christ uh, is all-knowing, and he will be the judge. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, students, listen to me. Uh, to an extent, you're going to live your lives with uh, human authority in mind, and that is not unscriptural. Paul at times in the New Testament said, follow me as I follow Christ. It is not unscriptural to follow a parent. It is not unscriptural to follow a pastor. But ultimately, everything that we do in the Christian life should be done for the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and there are many today, many of you, you can get good at pleasing men. And you're pretty good at making yourself look good in the eyes of men. And we kind of know how to make things look just about right. And we can live in such a way to kind of, you know, get by without too many demerits. But what I want you to recognize is that one day you will stand before your creator, Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you now while you're in Bible college to begin living every day for Jesus Christ. That does not mean that you say, well, I don't care what Dr. Getch thinks. I'm just living for Jesus Christ. In fact, if you're living for Jesus Christ, Dr. Getch will be thrilled. But what I want to challenge you with this morning is that the one you will stand before is the Lord Jesus Christ. The judge is Jesus Christ. I want you to see secondly here that the judgment is for the church saints. This judgment, the Bema Seat judgment, is not for the unsaved. It is for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, the Bema, as we saw a moment ago, is a raised place there in Corinth, a platform, uh, a place for the tribune uh, to sit and to, uh, to execute judgment from. Uh, in Corinth, the believers knew exactly what it was, where it was. They recognized it. But Paul is raising up into their consciousness that there will be a judgment place for the saints. Uh, in the Grecian games in Athens, the old arena contained a raised platform. The president or the umpire would sit up on that platform as he did in Corinth. And this was the picture that Jesus uh, is given to us through the apostle Paul, that this judgment place is where all of the believers will come. So as we look at this judgment seat of Christ, we believe that Jesus is the judge. You're not going to stand there before the deacons. You're not going to stand there before the dean of students. You're not going to stand there before your mom and dad. You, listen, you will stand there before the Lord Jesus Christ. How sad that you would spend so much time then thinking about what others think or say. How sad that you'd get so frustrated about the opinion of men when what we should be thinking mostly about is that one day I'm going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. The judge is Jesus. The judgment is for the saints or the believers. Notice thirdly, thirdly, the timing of the judgment is after the rapture. The timing of the judgment, of course, is after the rapture. 
Now, this judgment being for all believers in the, uh, in the church age will take place after the rapture. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Uh, thank the Lord for that promise uh, that one day the trump of God will sound, the dead in Christ will rise, and then we which are alive and remain will join them in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's why the scripture say, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of that great God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us are to be anticipating and looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus. You don't think of this a lot when you're 18 or 19 or 20, but I'm here to tell you today that a wise Christian is thinking every day about the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again, and after his coming, I'm going to stand before him. And so we see uh, that this is the timing uh, that is involved. 2 Corinthians 5 and 8 says, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Dwight Pentecost wrote in his book, Things to Come, a great book on eschatology. He wrote, This is further supported by 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8, where Paul is describing events that take place when the believer is absent from the body and present with the Lord. And so I believe that this time of judgment will take place after the rapture, I believe it will take place before the second coming, that every believer of that era, will of the church era, will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the judge is Jesus, and the judgment is for the saints of God. And the timing of this will take place after we are caught up in the clouds to be with the Lord. Now, if you don't believe that this morning, you better get into your Bible. You better understand this morning that you as an individual will stand before Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you something, that's a lot more important than oral exams or any other great thing you may experience on this earth. Uh, You're going to stand one day before the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the judge. The judgment is for all Christians, and the timing is after the rapture. Now, let's get into the meat of this, and we'll be done in just a few moments. Notice number four, the purpose of this judgment. The purpose of the Bema Seat judgment is for the rewards to the believer. It's for rewards to the believer. Let me make several comments about this judgment as I understand it scripturally. First, this judgment is not for the sins of mankind. You will not be judged for your sin at the Bema Seat. How many of you are thankful that your sin was already judged at the cross of Calvary, amen? The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, then we which are alive and remain, we caught up together with them uh, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so we're thankful that we'll stand there before him, but we'll not stand before him to have our sins uh, examined. That's been settled. Turn, if you would, in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. 2 Timothy 1, 9. It says, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light 
through the gospel. So Jesus Christ uh, is going to be the one that not only has saved us, but he is going to be the one that we'll stand before. And our calling, our salvation, is not according to our works. It's according to his work at the cross of Calvary. Oh, we thank God for that. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, See, the Bible is clear about this matter. The Bible teaches us that the blood of Christ covers our sin. Without the shedding of the blood, there's no remission for sin. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.9 says something interesting. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. The words here, accepted of him, speak of being well-pleasing to him. So we are laboring so that we may be well-pleasing to the Lord. In other words, when we are raptured and when we stand before the Lord, our practice will be examined, but not our position. Our position in Christ is settled. It was settled at the cross of Calvary. It was settled through the fact that you have trusted Christ as Savior. Your position is settled. If you're saved, you've been set apart, washed in the blood. You are a child of God. Your position is settled. Your position will not be reevaluated at the Bema seat. That has been a settled issue. But your practice will be evaluated. Will it be a well-pleasing practice? Now go back to verse 10 for just a moment. Notice what it says. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now we see here the phrase, may receive. Uh, This speaks of the fact uh, that we will obtain something that has been promised. It says also, according to that he hath done, speaking of deeds or accomplishments. And then this phrase in verse 10, whether it be good or bad. In these verses and in these words, we're not speaking about that which is sinful or evil, but rather we're speaking about that which is worthless or of worth. Perhaps you have been familiar with the scriptures that speak about that which is wood, hay, and stubble being burned away, and that which is gold and silver and precious stones standing. One is worthless and one is of worth. Now listen. Hold it right here. If you go out soul winning Saturday because you have to and because you're grudging when you do it and you have to fill out a form and and if you do service in the Christian realm with a begrudging spirit, uh, you likely will not be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ because the judgment seat of Christ is going to reward It's going to reward for that which is done with the right heart, that which is done under the Lord, whether it is good or bad, speaks about the nature of the service that is rendered under the Lord. It is not profitable. Now, let me tell you, there are times when Christian workers can just go through motions. And I'm here to challenge you today that whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. You say, well, sometimes I just don't feel like going out soul winning. I just don't feel like working with the bus kids. Let me encourage you to take a little time of prayer and just say, Lord, you know, I've had a lot in my mind. I've had finals. I've had a lot going on, but I'm about ready to enter into teaching this class. And Lord, I don't want to do that in the flesh. And I don't want to do that with a bad attitude. Lord, would you fill me with your spirit? Would you help me to do this for you?
Would you bring some good thing from this, Lord? Even though I'm just fleshly, I want you to be glorified in this. We're not going to be judged for our sin or for our salvation. We're going to be judged for our service as unto the Lord, what kind it is, whether it is good or bad, whether it was done in the spirit or in the flesh. So uh, here we see the purpose of this judgment seat, first of all, is not for salvation. Uh, Secondly, it is to recognize laborers. It is to recognize the laborers and their labor. Now turn, if you would, in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I want you to see this in verse 7, 1 Corinthians 3, 7. It says, so then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive, notice this, his own reward according to what? His own labor. Verse 8, let's read it together. 1 Corinthians 3, 8, ready, begin. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Look at verse number 12. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. And this is, this is the labor of the Christian that is being examined. And the purpose of this judgment seat of Christ is not uh, to judge you for your sin. Jesus bore those on the cross but it is to examine your labor and what sort it is. And is it wood, hay, and stubble? Uh, is it that which is done with a pitiful attitude? Is it that, that which is done with a bad attitude? Or is it done in the joy of the Spirit? And we see from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that our labor is measured individually, that we will all give an account, verse 8 says. That's why Colossians 3.23 teaches, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. We spend too much time in our lives thinking about what someone else did, what someone else says, what someone else thinks. What we should be consumed with is that one day we're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And he knows your heart attitude. He knows your service. Our labor will be measured individually. By the way, our motives will be revealed. I mentioned that a moment ago. Notice there in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, if you have it open there, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time come until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and watch this, and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. So God, on that day at the Bema Seat, knowing your heart and mine, knowing our spirit in service, is going to reward us according not just to what was done, but according to the heart in which it was done. So this Bema Seed is not for sins. It is to recognize the labor of the laborers. Thirdly, there will be rewards that are given at this Bema Seed judgment, just like they were given at the Bema Seed in Corinth. Now notice there in 1 Corinthians 3 again, I want you to notice in verse number 11 what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 11. Here the Bible says this. 
For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. And then we read verses 12 and 13, which said uh, that every man's work will be made manifest. Verse 14, if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So here the scriptures teach that there will be rewards that are given at the Bema Seat judgment. Now, we are not going to have time to study every single one of them in depth, but let me mention them to you if you're taking notes, as I understand the rewards that will be given at the judgment seat of Christ. And there are five I want to mention. Number one, there is what is called the incorruptible crown or the soldier's crown. 1 Corinthians 9.25, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Now here are the references to an athlete. You have the basketball team. They're going to run. They're going to lift weights. They're going to they're work out. The girls' volleyball team, they're going to practice and practice. Why? Because they want to have a victory. According to the Bible, it's an incorruptible victory. It's an earthly victory. It's, it's something that can give glory to God. But he's saying if there is that much dedication on the part of an athlete running in the Olympics, how much more so should we be dedicated in our studies, in our Bible reading, in our praying, in our witnessing, so that we can stand before the Lord with joy? Joy. There will be the soldier's crown that you may receive at the Bema Seat judgment of Jesus Christ. Secondly, there is what is called the crown of rejoicing. The crown of rejoicing. Or sometimes we call this the soul winner's crown. The soul winner's crown. Now, 1 Thessalonians 2.19. I love this verse. In fact, turn there in your Bible. 1 Thessalonians 2.19. 1 Thessalonians 2.19, the soul winner's crown. By the way, how many of you would like to receive a crown when you stand before Jesus Christ? No one ran in the Olympic races at Corinth because they wanted to lose. They all wanted to win. And notice what it says in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. And I believe that there is a great opportunity to be rewarded as a soul winner, someone that is a faithful soul winner. And I love what Paul says. He says, you know, our joy, our crown of rejoicing, when I think about heaven, he says, it's you. It's you, church. Let me ask you something. Do you know of someone that will be with you in heaven, maybe standing there at the judgment seat because you personally led them to Christ? Paul says, that's what makes heaven a sweet thought for me. Besides seeing Jesus is knowing that that crown of rejoicing is real in my life. Thirdly, there is in the Bible what is called the crown of life. Sometimes we call this the sufferer's crown. The sufferer's crown. You say, oh, I'm really suffering, pastor. I've got a migraine headache. No, it's a little different than that. Oh, I've, I've, I've got this splinter. No, it's a little bit different than that. Notice what the Bible says in Revelation 2.10. Fear none of those things which, shall, which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. A few days ago, we walked around the Colosseum in Rome. And if you're alert, you'll see a slide of it probably in the next few services sometime. 
And as we walked around the Colosseum, we were mindful of the, the strength of the Roman Empire. We saw the Arch of Constantine. We were mindful of the great military victories of Constantine. We saw the Arch of Titus. We were mindful of the prophecy that Jerusalem would be destroyed in 70 AD, and they were by the Roman soldiers. And so we walked through those areas down the Roman Forum until finally we came to a place called the Mamertine Prison. The Mamertine Prison was the prison that was used prior to and during the reign of Nero. It was the prison for the political prisoners and for those that were awaiting death. And it was the prison where the Apostle Paul spent his last days before he died at the hands of Nero. And you cannot walk into that prison without having your heart really touched. There was really a small space, I believe it was 30 feet wide and maybe, maybe another eight feet the other way or so in the bottom portion where Paul likely was. There was a connection to the sewer and and on out to the river. Other than that, it was a dark, dark, damp place. And I think about Paul, and I think about so many others. I think about the Reformers and the Anabaptists. I think about those who were taken, even frankly, by some of the uh, Reformers, such as Zwingli, who took families, and because they said people should be baptized after they're saved, Zwingli tied them to chains and threw them in the river Lamont, and they became martyrs for their faith. And the stories could go on and on. And I think all of us need to remember when we start complaining about little rules and little things, listen to me. It is obvious when you do that, ladies and gentlemen, that you're not thinking about the judgment seat of Christ. You're thinking about yourself, but you're not thinking about Jesus very much. Because one of the crowns he's going to give that day is for people who suffered in those dungeons and who died in those rivers and who died at the stake. And I don't want to disappoint you, but your little inability to wear something or your little inconvenience with the roommate or your little problem that you had, you're not going to be rewarded for that at the judgment seat of Christ. There's no reward in heaven for somebody that uh, you know, had, a, had a roommate they didn't like. I'm sorry to tell you that. I don't see that crown here. There is a crown for the Stam family who died in China. There is a crown for Jim Elliott who died in the jungle of South America. There is a crown and it's called the sufferer's crown. And then number four, there's the crown of righteousness or the servant's crown. This is what Paul wrote about just before he went to that Mamertine prison. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. How many of you remember that verse? Then he said this, Henceforth there is laid up for me, what is it? A what? A crown. A crown. A crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them that love is appearing. As I understand this crown, it is a crown for people who looked for and loved the thought of Jesus coming again. And they just live with that thought in mind. And Jesus is going to say, you know, you did a great job of living with me in your heart and mind, looking for my coming and living for that. And then fifthly, there is the crown of glory. I believe this crown to be a crown for the pastors of the churches. It's mentioned in 1 Peter 5, 4. It says, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye 
shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Every pastor I know wants to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, obey them that have the rule over you, for they must give an account for your soul, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. A lot of people make fun of verses like that. A lot of us preachers are a little hesitant to preach verses like that because nobody wants to seem like a strong-arm dictator, after all, telling everybody to obey them. But can I tell you the honest truth of the matter? I believe with all of my heart, one day I'll stand before the Lord and I'll give an account for how I led Lancaster Baptist Church. And I believe the members of Lancaster Baptist Church will give an account for how they followed the biblical leadership that was given to them in this church. You see, sometimes we think because we're going to make it into heaven anyways, it doesn't matter how we live. But I'm here to tell you, when you stand before Jesus and the Bema Seat Judgment, how you lived will matter greatly in that moment. And receiving a crown that you may give back to the Lord will mean so much to you in that moment. The Bema Seat. It was a real place at Corinth, a place of judgment. And Paul wrote to the believers, he said, hey, there's going to be a real Bema Seat. When you are raptured out of this earth, you'll stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. May it be a great day, a great day of victory in your life. Now, I'm not putting anyone down. If you knew how much we loved you, we didn't start this college to discourage you. We started this college to help you graduate and change the world for Christ. But now let me help you because I'm guilty of it too. Sometimes I can go through a day without thinking about the Bema Seat. And sometimes I worry about little things. And sometimes I complain about little things that have no bearing on the fact that one day I'll stand before Jesus. Sometimes, Brother Getch, I've worried too much about what some preacher thought or what some person thought and didn't spend enough time being conscious of what Jesus thinks about the way I'm living this life. How about you? Do you spend some of your time on low thoughts? low ambitions, worrying and thinking about the wrong things? Is there someone here today that needs to begin living every day with the fact you're going to stand before the judgment seat someday and you want to be really living your life with that thought in mind? I could get up here and read you the rules of the college. I could get up here and read you the handbook of the college. There's some good stuff in that, but I'm here to tell you all of that is lower motivation, the higher motivation is what I'm telling you today. You will stand before Jesus Christ, not for your sins, but for your service. And I'm challenging you today to live with that in mind. Don't spend your time in the lower stuff like the bottom feeders in the fish tank. Spend your time looking to Jesus who's coming again.